Good morning. Welcome to Eastern Shore Baptist Church's podcast. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm so thrilled that you have decided to tune in this week. I certainly hope that today's message will be both encouraging to you, but also I pray that it will be convicting. You can find out more about our church by visiting www.myesbc.net. God bless you and look forward to seeing John's you soon. John's gospel, church. specifically John chapter 6, verses 53 through 58, captures the words of Christ as he's talking to the disciples. It's at this point that Jesus loses his ministry. This is where Jesus sees the greatest amount of abandonment in his life, and he talks about what would eventually become communion. And he says these words, he says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless... You eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Unless you eat His flesh and drink His blood, you won't have life. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I abide in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. Friends, we partake in communion, and we remember the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. There is absolutely no communion with Christ unless we all recognize that he died for our sins and that he paid the penalty for all of our transgressions on the tree. Yet when we celebrate communion, we know that it was through the death of Jesus Christ that he actually brought all mankind to life. It was through his death that we receive life. So if you want to follow along on your order of worship, fill in these very important blanks. Communion reminds us of death, but it also reminds us of life. Well, friends, over the past, well, several weeks, I've performed nine funerals. There's been a great season of death that we have all partaken here in our church. But at the same time, as we have performed these funerals, myself and many others here, I am reminded that even though that day is sad, there is still life. A greater life to be lived than what we live here on planet earth. And we can take joy in the knowledge of Jesus Christ's death on the cross for us. Communion reminds us of death and life. Friends, I want to remind you that Eastern Shore Baptist Church, we practice two holy ordinances. The first, of course, is baptism. That's why we are Baptists. We love to dunk people. Because in baptism, we remind people of Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection. It is a great act to be baptized. Trust me, you can make much worse decisions in your life than to following Christ and modeling his death, burial, and his resurrection through baptism. The second one is, of course, communion. We love to celebrate communion. And it is a remembrance and it is a celebration. As you take that wafer, you're reminded of the brokenness of Jesus' body. As you take the cup, you're reminded of the blood that Jesus spilled out on the cross for you. And we practice open communion, which means if you have a relationship with Christ, if you've invited him into your life and you are walking with him and you are obeying him, then we encourage you to participate in this holy 
experience. It doesn't matter what your denomination is. It doesn't matter where you're from. We want you to participate. Now, on the off chance that someone has not made a profession of faith, maybe you're a mom or a dad and you've got your little boy or your little girl and they're sitting on the pew with you and they've not made that decision yet. Well, teach them. Uh, don't allow them to participate, but use this experience to share Christ with them. Uh, I'll make a guarantee, uh, I promise you, as your child sits there and as he listens to me or she listens to me, and as they see you take the wafer and the cup, trust me, they will begin to ask questions. Uh, we have led more children here to the Lord through the experience of communion than just about anything else. And so we hope that you will do that this morning. Communion is also a symbol much in the same way that baptism is a symbol. Communion doesn't save you. It has no saving power, but it is a powerful expression of love and devotion to Jesus. Members of the early church, they would often take communion as a symbol of being a part of a larger body, of being a part of the church. It signified to the rest of the community that they were different and set apart for Christ. It was given and taken with the full understanding that have called upon that these early Christians, that as they took the body and as they took the, the blood, that they themselves would be willing to give up their own lives for the cost of Christ. So communion is a, a serious thing. It is a holy mission. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 29, just how serious this moment is. You can read along with me on the screen if you'd like. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of our Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone, who, listen to this, verse 29, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. So this is a fantastic exercise where we can look inward and we can express outwardly our worship. This means we need to come to, the, to uh, this altar today with a serious attitude and a very respectful tone. None of us want to share in the judgment of God. Rather, we want this solemn act to join us together in fellowship and in harmony with one another, but more importantly, with God. And so how do we prepare ourselves for this moment? Well, friends, we do that through prayer. What should we pray for? Well, the simple answer is first we pray for pardon. We pray and ask God to forgive us. Is there anybody in here who hadn't made a mistake this week? Just this week. Anybody? Anybody? I saw a hand fly up. That's okay. You're a liar. That's okay. You just made a mistake. You just made a mistake. Yeah, well, we're all sinners. I'll be, I'll, I'll confess, I've dropped the ball some this week. I've probably said something I shouldn't have said. I might have done something I shouldn't have done. I, I, we, we classify sin here at our church really simply. Sin is any time you disobey or you disappoint God. And trust me, each and every one of us have done it. Maybe you didn't say something, but you thought something. Maybe you didn't do it, but you thought about doing it. We disobeyed God. So we pray for pardon. Second, we pray for praise. After all, I don't think we should ever go to the throne of grace without thanking God. We should be praising him. We should be thanking him in every moment, even in the bad moments. Even in the hard moments, we thank the Lord. 
Oh, I was standing with a lady in our church. Her husband was about to pass. And I said, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And she said, you know, Stuart, every time I begin to get sad, every time I begin to get mad, I begin to think to myself, you know, the Lord didn't have to give him to me in the first place. Isn't that a fantastic attitude? She was praising the Lord in the midst of pain and hardship. Oh, we pray for pardon, we pray for praise, and then we pray for people. By the way, all of us are people. We can pray for ourselves. We ask the Lord for help, and yet we pray for our friends and our neighbors who are struggling and suffering. Why do we do this? Well, why do we pray these prayers? We do this because the Bible tells us to. If you read in James, if you read in James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be what? Healed. Anybody need a healing this morning? Sure you do. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So we pray for pardon, praise, and for each other. I think the temptation for us this morning is to take the cracker and to take this cup of juice and simply take it without much consideration. And here's the reality, friend. You don't take communion. Communion takes you. It takes you on a journey back in time. It places you in the upper room with Jesus and the disciples. And it it takes us to that moment in time where we have this clear expression. Now, Paul's letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, Paul was not there in the upper room. However, he's giving the Corinthian church uh, the proper manner in which communion ought to be taken. And so that's where we're going to go this morning. Again, you can read from the screens. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus... On the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. And after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, before we take the bread, you know what this is right here? Can you see this? Y'all know what this is? No? Maybe? It says Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on it, but that's not what that is. Thank you. Amen. This is a puzzle. Do any of you like puzzles? Anybody like to sit around and do puzzles? I don't like puzzles. I don't have much patience for puzzles. Because in this box... Do you know what's inside this box? Brokenness. Brokenness. Pieces. Thank you, Zach. That's right. In this box is brokenness. In this box is pieces. And every time I think about a puzzle, I think to myself, I don't have time for this. By the way, you do as well. When you see broken things, most of us Most of us don't take the time to fix them. Most of us save up our money and we go buy something new, right? Now, put this in context of our humanity. We are just packages of brokenness, just like this puzzle. We are packages of busted pieces. Now, on the outside, this box, by the way, looks pretty together, right? It's sealed, has never been opened, Right? It, it looks pretty together. 
And by the way, most of you look like you've got it all together as well. You look like you've got your marriages together. You look like you've got your jobs together. You look like you've got your parenting together. You look like you've got your church together. You look like you even may, you look like you even may have your spirituality together. But here's the reality. You're really just a box of broken pieces. The Bible is really interesting. Brokenness and fragmentation are the constant themes of the Bible. Did you know that? The Bible is filled with brokenness and fragmentation, just like me and just like you. We, the Bible mirrors this continuous fragmentation of life and relationships. Just, just listen to some of these names. Adam and Eve, a broken marriage, a broken relationship. What about Cain and Abel, the first murder, a broken relationship? What about Noah and his sons? Don't you remember? We often teach kids about Noah, and they got on the boat, and the, peop- the, the, the two of every kind got on there with him. And wow, what a hero. We don't ever talk about at the end of the story, Noah cursed his sons right? Brokenness. And then he goes on. What about Abraham and Lot? Brokenness. What about Sarah and Hagar? Brokenness. Jacob and Esau, anyone? Brokenness. Joseph and literally all of his brothers. And by the way, we just now got out of Genesis. (laughs) That's the first book of the Bible. (laughs) It only gets worse from there. What about Miriam and Moses? What about David and Absalom? What about, as you hit the New Testament, the Jews and the Gentiles, right? What about even Paul and the son of encouragement himself, Barnabas? Brokenness. Everywhere is brokenness. I read a a few weeks ago about an artist who took a bunch of broken glass pieces and he turned them into one of the finest works of art. He he turned them into a stained glass window and they brought it in to uh, one of the holy cathedrals in Paris and, and they marveled at its beauty. And they said, this must be priceless. And they had no idea that it was from shards of bottles and broken pieces of glass. That's what God does. The Bible mirrors all of these broken pieces. Brokenness and fragmentation are a part of the story of Jesus on the cross. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four, 24, as we just read, he gave thanks and then he did what? He broke it. The story of Jesus on the cross is a body that's broken for you. His body broken on the cross mimics our life. His body was a mess. Are you a mess this morning? That's okay. Thank you, Terry. I've been there, brother. Well, guess what? Jesus has also been a mess up on that cross for you. His body was a mess. It was broken. It was destroyed. It was in pieces, just like all of us. But we know that that's not the end of the story. Isn't that right, Terry? That's not how it ends. No, we know the rest of the story. Three days later, Jesus didn't stay on that cross, did he, friends? Now, what was once broken, God put back together. And friend, if you've come in here today with a broken life, I want to tell you something, and this is the truth. God can put you back together. That's what God does. Friend, every time you look at communion, I hope you look at it a different way. I hope you look at it a different way from now on. Because what was broken, God is going to piece back together 
Again, this morning as you take that small wafer, I want you to remember that Jesus is remaking you. He's taking your broken life and turning it into something beautiful, something exceptional, something special. Jesus' body brings peace with his Father. It brings fellowship with our Maker, and it brings hope. It is the hope to all sinners everywhere. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 15 from the New Living Translation, listen to what Paul tells us that he, Jesus, died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live from themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who did what? Died for them and was raised for them. This morning, as we take this bread, let us praise God for the body of Christ. Jesus tells us in John chapter 6, verse 35, he says to them, I'm the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And he took the bread. In 1972, a shepherd had brought his sheep into a walled-off pen. The story takes place excuse me, in Jerusalem. The shepherd brings his sheep into a walled-off pen. It was an enclosure area for the night. He had gone to sleep when he heard a, a big commotion coming from the pen where he had taken his sheep. And the shepherd wakes up to find that there is a wolf who has somehow snuck his way into the sheep pen. He's got his teeth on the throat of the bleeding sheep and he's dragging the sheep out of the pen and you can see in your imagination this wolf as he's biting down on this sheep blood is flying everywhere you've got this white perfect animal and now it's fur is covered as his outsides are covered with blood I mean it's quite a scene so the shepherd as any shepherd does he jumps up springs into action he grabs his shepherd's staff and runs into the pen just in time to grab the wolf by the nose. And he begins to beat the wolf. Well, the wolf turns his attention away from the sheep and turns his attention to the shepherd. And the wolf begins to bite the shepherd on the arms all the way up on his neck, and again, now no longer is the sheep's blood a problem. Now the shepherd's blood is a problem. Thankfully, the shepherd strikes a death blow to the wolf. He cracks him one time across the head, and it kills the wolf instantly. The shepherd, bleeding, picks up his sheep who's been mangled, carries him back into the pen, and he begins to tend him, to feed the sheep water, to, to dress his wounds. And because the shepherd did not want to leave the sheep alone, he lays down and places his arm across the sheep. The owners walked in the next morning and they saw the shepherd. He was draped over the top of this sheep and sadly the shepherd had died. It given way to his wounds. And so the news of that 
story, a true story, began to spread throughout the countryside and in the city. And that following day, the headline in the Jerusalem newspaper said this. It said, sheep alive, but covered in the shepherd's blood. Sheep alive, but covered in the shepherd's blood. You know, friends, the shepherd's blood is very important. The blood of the shepherd is a a spiritual transaction that purchases us our freedom from hell itself. By the way, you don't hear a lot about hell these days. It's almost like preachers don't want to really talk about it. And by the way, I'm one of them. I don't like to talk about hell. But just because I don't like to talk about it doesn't mean it's real. Oh, friend, it's real. And sadly, there are real people going there every single day. The shepherd's blood, however, gives us that atonement. The shepherd's blood, it purchases us back from the devil himself. The spiritual concept, by the way, is atonement. If you read Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the life. The shepherd's blood also purifies us. It allows us a path to be forgiven. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Like the shepherd in the story, saving the sheep through the sacrifice of his blood, Jesus' blood provides for us salvation. Never forget, never forget that you were saved today because Jesus Christ placed his blood on you. You are alive today. You are the sheep in the story. And you're alive today because you've been covered with the shepherd's blood. Never, ever forget that. In Romans chapter 5, verse 9, Paul tells us, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. Paul's saying, listen, you've been bought with precious, a precious commodity, the blood of Christ. Friends, are you thankful for the blood of Christ today? Are you really thankful for the blood of Christ? Would the headline of your life read this? Would the headline of your life read, Sheep alive, but covered in the shepherd's blood? I pray that it would. Matthew chapter 26, verses 27 through 30. Jesus says these words, And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is the blood of the covenant in which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And they took the cup. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity to gather in your presence, to worship you, to pray. Lord, to thank you Lord, for our many, many blessings. Lord Jesus, today we come before you and we want to ask your forgiveness. We want to ask for all the many times that we have failed you, 
and the various times we've let you down. Lord, help us to live more acceptable in your eyes. But Lord, we know that ultimately we are covered through the blood of Christ. And that, Lord, we don't have to be perfect because Jesus was already perfect. Lord Jesus, again, thank you for forgiving us. Lord, we praise you today. We praise you because of all the many awesome things that you've done. Lord, not just in our lives, but in so many others as well, for giving us this marvelous creation, for blessing us, Lord, with this wonderful place that we live, for granting us the ability to worship openly and expressively. Lord, we praise you for saving us. Lord, we praise you that at the end of the day, we know that there is more to this life than what we live here in this mortal realm. Lord, we also pray for one another. Lord, we lift up each other, confessing, Lord, that we don't have all the answers, but that you do. And so, Lord, today we pray that you will work in our lives, that you will help us to be loving, that you will help us to be helpful, that, Lord, you would help us to be encouraging, that, Lord, when we come to church and when we leave church, that people would see Christ in us. Lord Jesus, thank you for your blood. Thank you for your body. Thank you that we can have the opportunity as sheep to be covered with the blood of the shepherd. Thank you, Lord, that we are just boxes of brokenness and that, Lord, you are an artist who can put us back together and create something beautiful and fantastic out of our lives. Lord, we pray all of these things today in Jesus' holy and majestic and powerful name. Amen.